Genesis chapter 39. What do Moses, David, Nehemiah, Peter, John, Stephen, Paul, Joseph, and Jesus all have in common? Let me read that list again. Moses, David, Nehemiah, Peter, John, Stephen, Paul, Joseph, and Jesus. Quite a list. And yes, they are all in the Bible. I got that one. And there may be, there may be a number of things um, that they all have in common. Um, but I'm looking for one in particular. And just to move the line along a little bit, I'll give you the answer. All of them, all one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, all nine of them were falsely accused. In addition to being hated by his brothers and um, most of you know that story. If not, it's, uh, it's intriguing, and I would encourage you to go back a few chapters in the book of Genesis and read about the life of Joseph. It's, it's really extraordinary what God did um, through his life and through the story of his life. Uh, we preached on the life of Joseph some time ago, and there's really some incredible real-life application um, of his story to, to our lives, even in 2018. But in addition to being hated by his brothers and being thrown into a pit and left to die, and then his brothers taking him out of the pit because rather than let him die, they would rather make some money with him, and so they sold him into slavery. He ended up in Egypt, um, and while he was there, he was accused falsely of attempted rape. I mean, that's just putting it out there where it is. That's what he was accused of. Now, I'll be honest, I have preached this particular message before, but I'm preaching it again tonight in light of all the things that are going on with respect to the confirmation process of Judge Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court of the United States. Now, I'm not here to say whether he's innocent or guilty. That's not the purpose of the message tonight. I have my opinion, and I'm sure you have your opinion, and we are all entitled to our opinion, and we can discuss those some other place. Um, this is not the place. This is not the time. But here's what we have to understand. They are just that. They are opinions. Mine is an opinion. Yours is an opinion. 
But I'm telling you today that we are living in dangerous days when a simple allegation can destroy a person and their family. Now, you may not have been falsely accused with regard to some sexual impropriety, but maybe you have been a falsely accused of something like stealing. Maybe money comes up missing at work and somebody falsely accuses you. Or maybe when you were growing up, money, mom and dad, some money from mom and dad went missing and they just knew it was you or your brothers and sisters, as they would do, said it was you. Or maybe you've been falsely accused of saying something that you didn't say. Or sending something that you didn't send. Or posting something. Whatever the case may be, it doesn't matter. The pain and suffering and damage can be the same. What we find in Genesis 39 is the false accusation made against Joseph by a woman scorned. At this point in his life, Joseph was serving as the overseer of the house and property and belongings of a man named Potiphar. And as the story goes, he was doing what he normally did as an overseer when Mrs. Potiphar tried to lure him into bed. But Joseph refused. But if you know the story, you know that his refusal did not stop her. The Bible says that she stayed after him, and here's the phrase the Bible uses, day by day. Every day, there she was. And then one day, after being told who knows how many times, she physically grabbed Joseph. And being the man that he was, he fled from her, leaving her standing there alone with his outer coat in her hand. She didn't take kindly to Joseph's rejection. And if she had anything to do about it, he was going to pay. And he was going to pay big time. And that's where we pick up the story. And what I want us to do is we'll work our way down through these last 11 verses of chapter 39, and I'll make some commentary along the way. And then, Lord willing, I'm going to give you some practical and helpful instruction. So Genesis 39, let's begin in verse 13. And it came to pass when he, or when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand, 
and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house. Let me stop there and say this. One thing that false accusers like to do is they like to try and involve others who otherwise would not be involved. I believe Potiphar's wife included these men for a couple of reasons. First of all, she knew they would be willing to listen. The reason most false accusers are successful, again, whether it's in the workplace or whether it's in the home or whether it's in your extended family or whether it's in the community or whatever, the reason most false accusers are successful in their quest to tear down and destroy others is because there is more than enough people who are willing to listen. Someone once said, if nobody took slander in and gave it lodging, it would starve and die. The truth is, talkers will refrain from evil speaking when others refrain from evil listening. Another reason I think Mrs. Potiphar included the other men of the house is because she knew they were envious of Joseph's position. Look, look at her words again. He hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. Now think about it. These men probably were envious of Joseph. I mean, after all, he was a foreigner. He wasn't an Egyptian. He was a Hebrew. Yet he had been promoted to the position of overseer of all of Potiphar's affairs. And if they weren't all envious, I can think of at least one person who would have been And that's the guy who held that position before Joseph came on the scene. And I'm going to guess that he let it be known. This is just speculation here. But I'm speculating that he let it be known that he was none too happy about this outsider coming in and just taking over the place. How often... Would you say envy and jealousy are the root causes of false accusations? I don't know that we can say that's always the case. But I'm sure we would be safe in saying that that's the case most of the time. That it's fueled by envy, it's fueled by jealousy it's fueled by covetousness somebody coveting their position or coveting their reputation or coveting their attention or coveting whatever it is they're coveting look at the end of verse 14 so she calls unto the men of the house and and here's what she says see He hath brought in in Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me 
to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice, and it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And to that I say, liar, liar, pants on fire. That is not what happened. We just read what happened. Look at what she said. He came in unto me to lie with me. Okay, let's get the facts straight. Let's go back to verse 7. Still with me? Genesis 39, look at verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused. Verse 10. And it came to pass as she spake to Joseph, here it is, day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. Verse 12, and she caught him by his garment. That's what happened. She was the instigator of it all. And Joseph would have nothing of it. But her story was not quite what really happened. Would you agree with that? For some reason, the false witness has the idea that by tearing someone else down, they are in some way building themselves up. Somehow they get this thought in their mind, and you've probably seen this meme on Facebook, they have this thought in their mind that by blowing someone else's candle out, they'll shine brighter. But the truth of the matter is, you can't hold someone down without staying down with them. You can't sink someone else's end of the boat without your end of the boat eventually sinking as well. Really what Joseph's accuser was trying to do was cover up her own sin. Oftentimes a false witness accuses others of wrongdoing in an attempt Again, whether it's in the workplace, they accuse you of, of taking something or they accuse you of, of misplacing something or whatever. And the reason that they are doing that is an attempt to cover up their own mistake or their own misdoing or their own dishonesty or their own thievery. And they're trying to pin it on you. Look at verse 16. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord, her husband, came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant, which thou hast brought unto us, came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass, as I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him 
and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. I have a couple of thoughts here. First of all, nowhere does it say that Potiphar investigated the charges leveled against Joseph. Now, time out. I know how eerily familiar this sounds to what's going on right now. But I, I developed this sermon back in 2016, just in case you're wondering. I'm preaching again in 2018. I didn't change anything other than put the part in there about what's going on now. So I know it sounds eerily like I developed this message based on what's happening now. I really didn't. This message is two years old. But Potiphar didn't even bother to investigate the charges that were leveled against Joseph. Well, Pastor, for crying out loud, it was his wife. I get that. But he was about to send a man to prison. One of the writers of the pulpit commentary said, even, listen, even from the nearest and the dearest, reports affecting injuriously the character of others should not be accepted without investigation. Even from the nearest and dearest. Okay, this is a good place to put a plug in here to parents and grandparents. Don't automatically believe everything your children tell you. I've raised three kids. I know. I have five grandkids. And really, I don't know if that applies to grandkids or not. Because when I hear mom and daddy did something, it's on. Well, they need to stop that right now. Is that right? They need to stop that right now. That's uncalled for. That is, that is out of bounds. They don't need to be treating you that way. Now, I never say that to them, by the way, Tiffany. She's over there giving me the eye like, I never say that. But in my heart, I'm thinking, well, I'll take care of that. But in all honesty and sincerity, even from the nearest and dearest, I had, a, I had a mom tell me one time, her exact words were this, my daughter would never lie to me. Like you never lied to your parents. And I hope there aren't any parents in here that are that gullible. Well, my kids would never lie to me. Newsflash, yes, they will. Yes, they will. Yes, they have. I don't care if they're, they're Huck's age. He's going to be two next month, and he's already fabricated to his mama. As a matter of fact, the Bible says we're born liars. So, you can take that for what it's worth, but I'm just telling you, you listen to your preacher, don't ever think, well, my, my kids would never lie to me. 
your kids will do exactly what you did for the most part growing up. And that's tell a few untruths along the way. You say, well, I, preacher, I just never knew it. Wait until they get beyond the statute of limitations. And it's Thanksgiving, and it's Christmas. Some of the parents here, they're laughing, they know. And they start telling you about this stuff they used to do. And you're like, la, 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 la. I don't want to hear it. Well, you don't have to listen, Dad, but it's true. We did. <laughs> and there are others in here that are laughing because they're the ones that have told. You ever had those discussions in the Barnes house? Oh, yeah. And you're going, la, 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 la. I don't want to, hey, no, you were perfect. No, Dad, really? <laughs> Sorry, Bob, but I wasn't perfect. So, anyway, I stayed on that a little longer than I should have. But, um, again, it doesn't matter who it is. Investigate. Especially if it's affecting injuriously the character of others. Investigate. So, well, preacher, how do I investigate? I'm so glad you asked. Here are five things to keep in mind. Number one, you need to ask them this. Why are you telling me this? I hope it's not because they know you'll listen. Why are you telling this? Number two, where'd you get your information? Did you see it? Were you an eyewitness? Well, no, but so-and-so said, so-and-so said, so-and-so said. Okay, that's one, two, three, fourth hand. Number three, have you gone to those people directly involved? Number four, have you personally checked out all the facts? And then here's the game changer. Can I quote you if I check this out? Well, no, no, I really, I really don't want to cause any problems. I just kind of want to say, then shut up. Did I say that? My grandson's not in here. I can say that. If I say shut up, he says, Aunt Papa said the S-H word. That's shut up for those that are wondering. Just thought I'd clear that up. But that's usually the game changer. Well, can I, can I, uh, can I go to them if all of this? No, 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 no. Well, then... You just skedaddle on down the road. That's how you need to handle that. That's how you investigate that. Now, here's my second thought. Gosh. All right, Brother Rob. You report this to the man in charge. Now, here's the second thought. Many believe that there's a reason why Potiphar didn't bother to check out the charge against Joseph. And that's because he didn't believe his wife was telling the truth. And honestly, the evidence that has been presented for supporting that view is really pretty convincing. Let me, let me share some of it with you. According to historians, the laws of the Egyptians were especially severe in their penalties for offenses against women. Because of the crime that Joseph was accused of, and especially since it was against the guy in charge's wife, 
his punishment could have been as severe as death because he was a slave especially. According to one writer, the fact that Potiphar did not believe his wife has been inferred, again, and this is speculation, has been inferred from the circumstances that Joseph was not forthwith remitted to the executioner's block. A man by the last name of Barnhouse said, if Potiphar had really believed his wife, Joseph would probably have been tortured to death. Edersheim, another historian, said that Potiphar could not in every respect have credited the story of his wife. For the punishment awarded in Egypt, the crime of which she accused him, was far more severe than that which Joseph received. As the captain of the guard, Potiphar had the authority, I mean right there on the spot, to take Joseph's life without question. And again, keep in mind here, this wasn't just any woman, this was his wife. The fact that he didn't take Joseph's life, even though it was his wife that was supposedly almost raped, leads some to believe that he was not fully persuaded of Joseph's guilt. But be that as it may, if Potiphar thought he was, uh, Joseph was innocent, he should have defended him, even at the expense of offending his wife. Now, the point I want to make is this. How many times... Have we been guilty of doing the same thing that Potiphar presumably did? We have been brought accusations of wrongdoing that have been proven to be unfounded, yet we lack the courage to stand up for the accused for fear of offending the accuser. Sometimes you have to wonder, what in the world would cause someone to viciously attack another person with lies that could do irreparable harm? And the answer is not really that complex. The answer is they have a bad heart. Let me show you Matthew chapter 15. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. And then Jesus lists some of those things, evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, here it is, false witness, blasphemy. Now let's wrap up this chapter and then I'll give you a few takeaways from this part of Joseph's life. Verse 21, Joseph was put in prison, verse 20. But the Lord was with Joseph, verse 21, and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And so whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. Which means that even in prison, Joseph rose to a place of prominence in leadership. That the head of the prison saw that Joseph was a man of character, that saw the leadership qualities that he possessed, 
And, and he put him in a place of leadership. Verse 23, the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand. In other words, he didn't have to micromanage Joseph. He knew that everything would be taken care of, that everything Joseph was supposed to do, Joseph would do that, and he would probably go the extra mile. So he didn't have to worry about any of that because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Now, three quick thoughts and a little extra something to take with you, and I'm done tonight. Number one. Just because you're done wrong doesn't mean you have to do wrong. Just because you're done wrong doesn't mean you have to do wrong. Nowhere, nowhere do we read where Joseph tried to exact revenge on Potiphar for throwing him in prison or his wife for falsely accusing him. We don't even read anything about him being angry or bitter or complaining about how unfairly he was treated. And this is not the only time in the life of Joseph, if you'll read his story, this is not the only time that he was treated unfairly. While he was in prison, he interpreted some dreams, and one of the guys died, he got killed, and the other guy, well, he was let loose, and he promised Joseph, listen, when I get out of here, I'm going to put a good word in for you when I get out there, and the guy gets out, and he doesn't say anything about Joseph, and Joseph stays in that dungeon. That's not to mention the fact that his brothers threw him in a pit and left him there to die, and then sold him into slavery. But here's what you find about the life of Joseph. Not one time in all of the chapters of Joseph's life do you read anything about him being angry or, or bitter. Here's what you read. At the end of Joseph's life, he forgives his brothers. What an extraordinary individual. Joseph teaches us that because we're done wrong doesn't mean that we have to do People with bad hearts and wagging tongues can be very vindictive. They can cause a lot of hurt. But still, church, listen to me. That gives us no right to get even. The Bible is clear about that. I don't have to read you a bunch of verses. You know what they are. Here's the second takeaway. When falsely accused, just keep doing right. Just keep doing right. And here's why I say that. It's a principle that is found in 1 Peter chapter 3. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you, as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. You see, at the end of the day, you want to be able to pillow your head with a clear conscience. 
make sure that when the truth comes out and those who are wrongly accused, those that have wrongly accused you are found out to be liars, make sure that when that happens, you don't have anything to apologize for. Well, I'm sorry for being mean. I'm sorry for being hateful. I'm sorry for trying to get back at you. I'm sorry for falsely accusing you because you falsely accused me. At the end of the day, make sure that you have none of that to apologize for. When you're accused of doing wrong, just keep doing what's right. I'm not even, I'm not even moving. Dustin, are you doing that? Huh? Ethan, keep an eye on him, will you? Come on, man. Yeah, come on. I want you to know, not only is Ethan watching, God's watching. Okay? Hey, we need to rest here. Oh, well, you don't want those. Oh. <laughs> oh. You guys ready for number three? If you guys notice... Sunday night, Brother Mike was having problems with the microphone. Yeah. Brother Tyler called. said, how'd it go tonight? And I said, man, bless his heart, Brother Mike, he had all kind of things he had to deal with. And uh, so we'll get that fixed. I, I, I know that they sent a part for that. Number three, I love this. We see this at the end of the chapter. Who you have against you isn't nearly as important as who you as who you have with you. Did you see that at the end? And the Lord was with Joseph. Everybody else was against him. His brothers were against him. Potiphar's wife was against him. But the Lord was with him. Now, let me give you four ways to avoid the sin of bearing false witness. Some of you may have written these down before. Number one, we can do it by praying David's prayer. And here was David's prayer. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. That probably ought to be a prayer that we pray every day. Put that in our car somewhere, on our office desk, on the mirror, in the bathroom, wherever. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Simply, Lord, help me not to say anything today that I shouldn't say. That's easy enough to memorize. Number two, we can do it by possessing David's resolve. Listen to, listen to Psalm 17, 3. Thou hast proved mine heart. Thou hast visited me in the night. Thou hast tried me and shalt find nothing. And look at this. I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. David said, I purposed, I'm resolved, that my mouth shall not transgress. Number three, mercy number three, by practicing David's ways. God help us to emulate David, as he said in Psalm 39, 1, I will take heed to my ways, 
that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. And then number four, by praising David's God. Psalm 71, 8, let my mouth be filled with praise and with thy honor all the day. If our mouth is filled with praise, there won't be any room for false accusation. I do not stand before you tonight as somebody who has practiced these principles flawlessly. I'm human. I have a sin nature. I have a propensity to sin, just like you do. So I don't hold myself up as some bastion of uprightness and perfection in this area. I'm telling you, God would have us to respond the way that Joseph responded. And to act the way that Joseph acted. And so if you're here tonight and you have been falsely accused... I'm sorry. I know what it is. It hurts. And it's not fun. And it stings. But by the grace of God, may we respond in the right way. And if we haven't responded in the right way, God help us after tonight to begin responding in the right way. Amen.